So we are in the middle of, well, not the middle of, the beginning of a series about our core values as a church, like who, who we are, who we really are, the things we really want to like take hold of and bite into. And last week we talked about this idea that Jesus values the lost ones. Lost people matter to God. He wants them found. And I have a testimony to share about this a little later on. But lost people matter to God. And, we're, and when we talk about lost, I mean... A lot of us experience this kind of sense of lostness at times in our lives. As Christians, we, we might feel lost in our jobs and our responsibilities at home. Uh, we might feel lost uh, even in our, in our theology, in our, in our thoughts about God, just feel lost and not like we're settled. As Christians, we feel that way. But when the Bible talks about lost people, this word that's used is 100% of the time uh, a word that's, that's kind of closely tied to apocalypse. So people who are really lost— without God and without hope in the world, without Jesus. That's who the Bible's talking about. And God wants lost people to be found. And in response to some people that say, you know, God is very slow in bringing about his kingdom. Why is he so slow? Um, God's uh, defense, as if he needed to defend himself, is I, I, I am slow because I'm patient. And I'm, not, and I'm, I'm slow not, as, not as, uh, as, as you understand slowness, but I'm slow because I'm patient because I want the least number of people to, to perish. I'm trying to save more people. That's why God tarries. Um, that's why sometimes it seems like God works so slow because of his great love, because lost people matter to him. He wants them found. That's what God's all about. So because that's God's core value, this is also our core value as a church. And last week we talked about, you know, these questions. You know, do you make time to pray for people that don't know Jesus, pre-Christians, do you take time building relationships with people that don't know Christ? Um, are there people in your life that you've shared your story with in the last month? These are the kind of things that tell us where our core values lie. Because it's not about what we think is good or sounds good. It's about what we do. And that's what, that's what glorifies Jesus, what we actually invest in. So we're, today is the second part of this idea that lost people matter to God. He wants them found. Jesus values the lost ones. And in this uh, sermon, I hope to talk about really the chief, one of the chief metaphors that God uses when talking about himself, which is a shepherd. A shepherd going after sheep. It's a powerful image. It's all through the entire Bible. In the Old and New Testament, the metaphor for God, for Jesus, and also for the leaders that represent God and Jesus is shepherds. Shepherds. And Jesus is a shepherd with a flock. The issue with, with, um, with sheep is not that there aren't enough sheep in the world, but that a lot of sheep are in denial about their sheepishness. They're in denial that they're sheep at all. Um, and so those people have a hard time uh, being shepherded because they don't believe they're sheep. And this is, this is, this is why in the, in the Bible, and we'll see this today, when Jesus talks to groups of sinners, tax collectors and sinners, and they're mixed with a crowd of like Pharisees and teachers of the law, why, this, why these sinners and tax collectors get shepherded by Jesus and why the Pharisees and teachers of the law don't, it's not because Jesus isn't reaching out to everybody. He is. The problem is that the Pharisees and teachers of the law didn't know they were sheep. They're like, we're not sheep. In fact, Jesus, you're doing this wrong. <laughs> so they were in a pretty, pretty arrogant spot, but really, all of us are sheep. All of us are sheep. Um, some of us are in denial. And the most mature and inspirational Christians I know 
talk about their relationship with God, they might not use the word sheep or shepherd, but they say, they talk about dependence on the Lord, about relying on Jesus. But Jesus, uh, Jesus says we're sheep. And so whether you're a Christian, whether you're not a Christian, you're a sheep. <laughs> and there's a certain kind of lostness that all sheep experience. Um, this is not has having to do with salvation. It's having to do with just being a sheep. Um, I went through a time, and I shared about this over the last uh, little while, last couple years, where I had, had an emotional depression. I just wasn't, was not feeling good, feeling very lost internally. Now, of course, it has nothing to do with my salvation. It has to do with my emotional state. But um, I was talking to Jackie and talking about all the things I was trying to do to draw near to God, to, to kind of cling to him during that time. And I was feeling very frustrated. And, um, and Jackie really encouraged me. She said, you know, you need, you know, Jesus is looking for you. You don't need to put all this effort you're putting into trying to connect with God, but God is, is going after you. And this is an encouragement that I got from her and from another, another trusted counselor of mine. You know, you're depleted emotionally. Sit back and realize that the shepherd is going after you. He's looking for you. There's a, sense in, there's a sense in which we as Christians become in denial that we are sheep at the end of the day who are in need of being found. <clears throat> and we, we have all this idea that we need to, if we read our Bible more, pray more, do these certain things, we can get God to, to come to us. But God is looking for us actively. And that was a really like freeing thing for me to let go of that control, to let go of that disappointment in my, in my life and say, you know what? God, I'm lost. Find me. Here I am. And there's something powerful about realizing you're a sheep. That's all. And, and uh, living, in, living outside of sheep denial. So that's, a, that's my own story. That's, that's me as a Christian, feeling lost or feeling empty and, and, and just surrendering and saying, God, come find me. And he, he, he has. He's been faithful. There's other people um, who, are, who are not believers who God is going after and looking for. And this morning, I got a testimony uh, from, from a friend of mine, and she had listened to my sermon from last week, and she said, I have a really recent testimony to share with you about this idea of lost people matter to God. He wants them found. So a man who is an owner of a business in the town I grew up in uh, passed away on January 10th, right? And this man's sons were believers, three sons, who were very strong believers, and they actually held a Sunday service in the, in the business, in the restaurant, on, on Sunday mornings. So they were, they were believers, and they, they were all very committed, but their dad was, was very antagonistic about Christianity, like just absolutely solidified, and you know, I'm never going to be born again. I, and, and, you know, just not, not, um, ever responding to faith in his sons. And he started to struggle with dementia. But all, all through this time, the local pastor was visiting with him, you know, just on behalf, because his kids went to the, uh, attended the pastor's church. He's visiting with him, and he was also, he was very, this man was very resistant to the gospel, but um, this, this pastor would come and visit with him faithfully along with his sons and pray for him despite his attitude. And two months ago, while the pastor was having this regular visit with this man, 
in what is seen as a total miracle from God, uh, this man's mind just cleared, and the pastor said, you know, Jesus loves you. He's calling you to accept salvation. And the man looked at him and said, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know how I've lived. And the pastor said, I don't, but Jesus does. What is greater, Jesus' mercy and grace or your sins? And the man answered, his mercy and grace. And the pastor prayed with him to receive the Lord. This is a, this is a man who was just his whole life antagonistic towards the faith. And a lot of people have stories of people like that. They just they don't want to talk about this stuff. They're, they're antagonistic. But the shepherd is looking. People that are existentially lost as Christians or just feeling depressed, but also people that are they're just lost, lost. They don't know Jesus. They're without hope. God is going after them. And so in this incredible story, you know, someone who was resistant, who was being prayed for and consistently witnessed to, came to know Jesus. It's awesome. Now, these are, these are the ways the shepherd is at work. And I want to let you know I had permission to share that story, in case you're wondering. Um, lost people matter to God. He wants them found. People that seem like they're antagonistic towards the faith, they matter to God. He wants them found. I wanted to talk about this, this shepherd who's searching for the sheep this morning uh, in the Bible. And I'm very indebted to the scholar Mary Gladwell for her research into, into this uh, theological topic. But sheep and shepherds, they, they bookend the Bible. From Gen- in Genesis 48:24, as Jacob, the patriarch Jacob, is on his deathbed, he makes this declaration. He says, God has been the shepherd all of his life to this day. And as he's, go- as he's dying, he said, God has been my shepherd all of my life to this day. And if you know anything about Jacob's story, you know this guy was pretty lost. I mean, really lost. If you doubt that the grace of God and the work of the Good Shepherd can be activated in your life when you're still living in rebellion, you know, it can be. Because in Jacob's life, even when he was completely oppositional to God's work and the, the touch of the shepherd, you know, God was working in his life. And the grace of God allows people who are still in the midst of their addiction to cry out to the Good Shepherd to be delivered. The, the grace of God calls people who are still shaking their fists and doing the wrong thing, not to clean themselves up before they come to God, but to come to God right then because he's working in their lives. And Jacob says, if you read the story, you see that Jacob didn't really have a lot of, a very good track record in the story up until the shepherd intervened in the middle of his life. But Jacob recognized, looking back, God's been shepherding my life all the way through, right to this present day on my deathbed. You know, God was at work. The grace of God um, shows shows up in these times. So this is, this is where someone recognizes the shepherd in the beginning of the Bible. Bookending this, at the end of the Bible, in Revelation 7, 17, when the Christians come out of tribulation, are brought before God, John says this, For the Lamb is the center of the throne. The Lamb in the center of the sh- throne shall be their shepherd, and shall guide them to springs of the water of life. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eye. That's really interesting. In Revelation, you know, we're still sheep even after we're in heaven with Jesus. He's still leading us to green pastures. We are by nature sheep. That's what we are. We're dependent. We need to be fed. We need to be led. 
So that's it. This, this picture of God as shepherd, bookending from Genesis all the way to Revelation with a lot in between, particularly in Isaiah. So the question is, you know, why did God choose to reveal himself as a shepherd in the Bible? And I think the answer is because lost people act so much like sheep. They act so much like sheep. Isaiah 53, 6. Let me, let me ask you if this is your life verse this morning. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. So, yeah, iniquity means twisted, like, so, twisted sin. So, all of us, Christian, not Christians, uh, we're like sheep. We go astray. We turn to our own ways. But the Lord's grace lays on Jesus all of our twistedness, and he's going after us. The Dictionary of Biblical Imagery describes us sheep people this way. It says, sheep are not only dependent creatures, they are singularly unintelligent. That's very offensive. Prone to wandering, unable to find their way to a shepherd, even when the shepherd is in sight. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is how the Bible describes us people. You know, when, when you become a Christian, you don't go, turn from a sheep into a, you know, a smart animal like a squirrel. <laughs> In other, <laughs> in other sermons I've shared about how, how smart squirrels are, you know, and how they, get, how they get us every time in our house, in our bird feeder. And, you know, we don't turn into squirrels when we become Christians. We're still sheep. Hey, you know, even in, even in Revelation at the end of all times, we're still sheep in heaven with Jesus. He still needs to lead us around. I think we're probably better at listening there. That's my hope. But, hey, the, the Bible dictionary says... They're unable to find their way to a shepherd, even when he's in plain sight. He or she is in plain sight. Does that describe your relationship with God? In retrospect, when you look back, you're like, oh, God was with me all along, but I, had no, I was not aware of it. You know, actually, that's a quote from the Bible, too. Surely the Lord was in this place, but I was unaware of it. Oh, we like sheep. Oh, we like sheep. Jackie likes that song. I'm not going to sing it. Okay, um... So all sheep are like this. Christian, not Christian, we're all sheep. Um, even those that don't realize their sheep are sheep. And the, pro the only problem is when we become senseless by becoming sheep deniers, saying we're not a sheep. We see this idea in Luke 15, uh, 1 to 7. And this is the, the first of three parables where Jesus talks about lostness, how lost people matter to him and he wants them found. And he's talking about, in particular, himself as a shepherd. So Jesus is talking to, to two groups of people, and we, we find out that in the first three verses. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners, that's group number one, were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law, that's group number two, muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus is talking to two groups at the same time here. Two different groups of sheep. Uh, group one, tax collectors and sinners, people that were clearly evil in the eyes of people in their society. And group two, the Pharisees and scribes who are just as lost but don't know it. They're sheep deniers. Group one knows that they don't deserve Jesus, but they seek him out anyway. You know, the sinners and tax collectors are, are there to listen to Jesus. They're seeking after him because they're finding that they have value in this relationship um, and group two, 
thinks that they're heads above everybody else, and they're actually judging the work that Jesus is doing in spending time with these unworthy ones. And they're watching Jesus very carefully and criticizing his shepherding methods. <laughs> you know, that's what's going on. Jesus is speaking to both groups, but the problem is one group doesn't know their sheep. And that's really the only thing that is going to keep someone from the good shepherd. Isn't that quite a, quite a thought? The only thing that can keep you from the good shepherd is when you just deny that you're a sheep altogether. You know? Yeah. Yep. But all weak like sheep have gone astray. So these two groups, they, they, um, they meet with Jesus, and Jesus decides to talk about um, himself as a shepherd. So Jesus tells them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. There's more rejoicing in heaven over one sheep than 99 sheep who do not think that they need the shepherd. If you read on in this parable um, in Luke 15, it talks about the, prodigal, the story of the prodigal son. And this, and this story absolutely illustrates these two groups. The younger son, you know, I'll just read it here. There was a young, in verse 11, a young, uh, a, a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything there, was a severe famine in the whole country. He began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The shepherd and his sheep. The son said to his father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. This is group number two. The older son was in the field. When he came to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother's come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he hasn't baked back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, 
All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. When this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And what's Jesus trying to tell us in this story? He's saying that both the sinners and, and tax collectors and the Pharisees and teachers of the law are all people that he wants to get a hold of. But uh, when you deny that you're in need of Jesus, when you deny you're in need of the shepherd, like, like those t- tax collectors and sinners and the older son, you miss out on the party altogether. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus receives both groups of people, but not both groups receive Jesus. That's what's happening here. The righteous people who do not need to repent are how Jesus describes a certain group of people. And that's in quotations, air quotes. Um, and, and, you know, sheep deniers, when they deny their sheep, deny their sinners in need of a savior, deny their loss and need to be found. Um, they'll, turn a, they'll turn a deaf ear to Jesus, the good shepherd. Even calling genuine ministry into question even as they judge Jesus himself. That's what they do. But both groups are like Isaiah said, like sheep who've gone astray. Both groups are sheep, but one group doesn't realize it. There's only one shepherd. The focus of the good shepherd, biblically speaking, is on their sheep, serving their sheep. And if you want to see an illustration of this, look at how Jesus, the master of his disciples, washes his disciples' feet and takes on the form of a servant. He's saying, now that you've seen me, your master, doing these things, you go and do likewise. You know, the the shepherd serves their sheep. That's what they do. To the point of death, that's how shepherds function in, in the ancient world. So shepherds, biblically speaking, they, they're there to serve their flock for their provision, their guidance, and their safety. That's what they're there for. In Jeremiah 10.21, God becomes very angry because Judah's leaders, who are supposed to be providing for, caring for, and protecting their flock, instead, it says, are senseless. It says in Jeremiah 10.21, the shepherds are senseless. They do not inquire of the Lord, so they do not flo- prosper, and all the flock is scattered. The bad shepherd fails to provide for the sheep, to protect the sheep and guide the sheep, and the flock gets, gets scattered. So this picture of what a good shepherd is becomes all the more stark when we look in Psalm 23. Let's look at Psalm 23, see what a shepherd does, a good shepherd. And you know this, you've heard it, but listen to it with fresh ears. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He provides for them. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. He has protection. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is a psalm of David, you know. He was actually a shepherd. You know, that was his profession. And God called him. And uh, he, 
He says, God, you're like a shepherd. You keep me safe. You provide and you guide me. Not only does a shepherd provide nourishment and direction, um, the shepherd provides safety and protection. You know, sheep are apparently very fearful and, and uh, can become alarmed very quickly. So the shepherd carried about a rod, which was like a club used to ward off wild animals. And also a staff, which he used to poke around in caves to get rid of small insects and things that could hurt the sheep. He would clear the path for the sheep and also protect them in moments of need. Even to the point of the valley of the shadow of death, the deepest, darkest place, the shepherd led the sheep safely, according to David. Jesus described himself as the good shepherd. And the Old Testament prophesied that the good shepherd would come. So Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. John 10. I want you to listen to this with fresh ears this morning. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Interesting that sheep can see their shepherd. <laughs> it doesn't register with them. But when they hear his voice, it does register with them. Interesting. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Most likely culprit is that they did not realize they were sheep, as we said before. Leads to a lot of misunderstandings. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down, and, authority, and I have authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So just as Jesus knew the good shepherd, uh, David knew the good shepherd in Psalm 23, Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd. I and the Father are one. Everything you read about me and God in Psalm 23, that's me. 
The good shepherd sacrifices for his sheep. The good shepherd ignores his own needs in order to meet the needs of his sheep. Over and over in this passage, it says, over and over again, the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is saying, you know, this death that I'm going to die for sin, it's important. I lay down my life for the sheep because they're lost and they need to be saved. In addition to this, you know, the, the audience that would have heard Jesus talking about being the shepherd and talking about this gate for the sheep and the sheepfold, they would have known that shepherds, you know, outside of the city would make these shelters for their, for their sheep. They'd make a fold. They'd take brush and bushes and thorns and construct this safe enclosure in, in, a, in a U-shape. And then the shepherd themselves would lay at the gate of this shelter. And he would put thorny branches on the top of that, that shelter so that the sheep would be discouraged from getting out. You ever felt the Lord trying to keep you uh, grounded before? It's not because he wants to hurt you. Because he's trying to keep you from getting out of the, the fold. So you might have felt a little prick. It's because he loves you. God disciplines those he loves and chastens those, those he accepts as his children. Um, so those brambles, they keep the sheep in. They keep the, the wolves out. But ultimately... Jesus was the gate for the sheep. His body was the gate for the sheep. And just as shepherds would lay across that entrance, so Jesus laid across that entrance. And just as many times the shepherd would be killed by wild animals who were going after the sheep, so Jesus was killed by the enemy who was going after God's sheep. But Jesus took his, died and rose again. He took his life up again. He had authority to lay it down and authority to raise it up. And so he has become for us the eternal shepherd. The only question is, do you think you're a sheep? That's how you, that's how you, that's how you can make it well and do well. You know, the only way in and out through the fold is the shepherd. And Jesus is not like a hired hand, as it says in Luke 15, who will abandon the sheep at the first sign of distress. But he's invested. Jesus is invested in the sheep. He doesn't care just for people to be found and saved from, from, from death and hell. That's not all he cares about. He cares about your life. He cares about your existential lostness. He cares about depression. He cares about addiction. He cares about these things. These are not things we need to fix before we come to Jesus. As my wife and others have told me and reminded me, these are things that Jesus wants to deal with now in our lives. And he's calling to us and working in the midst. Jesus says in John 10 that he's close to his sheep. When he calls them by name, they understand his voice and they follow him. They hear his voice and they follow him. And he says that none of the ones that the Father gives him will be lost. This will keep them safe. So you feel like you're teetering and you're going to fall out of, of, of being saved or fall out of you know, Christianity into the void of death, you know, Jesus is there. Jesus is protecting. Some shepherds were so close with their sheep, the ancient sources say that um, when, when they were guiding their individual sheep in the dark, the shepherd would reach down and just feel the tops of the sheep's heads and know where to point them to. You know, that's your mom, that's your mom. That's where they are for, for feeding time. An intimate knowledge, intimate touch, 
And I think, I think of that as being very significant. You know, when I touch my children's heads and you may see me in the back during worship just putting my hands on their heads, you know. Part of it's because they're hitting each other and talking, you know. I just want to give them blessing, impart blessing. You know, putting your hand on someone's head is a very intimate gesture and Jesus knows us, even the ridges of our, of our weirdly shaped skulls, right? And all the little bumps. He knows where to point us. And even if a bunch of flocks got mixed up, you know, in a night when the shepherds would build one big sheepfold and put all the sheep together, the, the true shepherd can come there that morning and, and just say, make a noise, make a certain kind of noise, and his sheep would just follow him out of that crowd. That's what Jesus does. He calls. His sheep hear his voice. So today, I want you to know that lost people matter to God. He wants them found. He wants people to be saved, but he doesn't, he doesn't only care about that. He cares about our lives. He cares about shepherding us Christians. The thing that gets in our way is when we forget that we're sheep and start uh, calling into question God's ways or, or, or whatever it might be. We become like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Jesus was reaching out to them. They were with him always. Everything he had was theirs, but they couldn't celebrate for people that Jesus was bringing in because they just they felt like they were just a little bit above everybody else. It's that pride that gets us every time. But Jesus is a good shepherd, and, and we, need, we need what he has to give us. As Julie comes forward to, to lead us in, in our closing song, um, we're going to sing, we have the name of Jesus again, but we need the shepherd. Um, he, he provides for us. He guides us. He wants to be intimately involved in our lives. And um, ultimately, Jesus sacrificed everything for us, uh, giving his life on the cross so that our lostness could uh, result in us being found by him. That's the kind of love that God has for each of his sheep. And it's also the model that God wants us to follow when we love and care for each other, that we'd shepherd one another as Jesus has shepherded us, that we'd point people to the shepherd. You know, we are all sheep. Lost people matter to God. He wants them found. We all need to be guided, protected, and provided for. So this morning, let's come to him. We are the creation. He is the creator. As smart as we might get, and as capable as we become, we never outgrow the fact that we are fundamentally sheep and we need Jesus. We need him. To that person that comes to him in humility, he will by, by no means turn away.